The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The title of our Bible study is The Invitation. Uh, again, we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And if you happen to have the notes that were handed out tonight, uh, I would ask you to look at the very top where it says, Jesus calls to you because he cares for you. Jesus calls to you because he cares for you. For some of us, that calling is continual and we have the opportunity to respond. It certainly is ongoing, an ongoing call, but for others of us, we will hear the call more regularly when we've received the news, perhaps in your employment, your supervisor calls you in and asks you to sit down and says, hey, the company's going in a different direction and we need to make changes, or for some, it's the news of a diagnosis, for others, it's a slow recognition that over time, that relationship that you've thoroughly enjoyed for so many years isn't what it once was, Jesus calls to you because he cares for you. The book of Genesis tells us that it was during the cool of the day when a breeze flowed through the sanctuary that you and I would call Eden. It signaled man to move in God's direction, that is to stop what he was doing in the course of his stewardship of creation, to stop to lay aside what he was focused on as he and his wife moved in the direction of God. He came to be with them. Hear this. It was and is our great need to be with him, and it is his great joy. Fact of the matter is, it's important for us to know that we were created for Eden's stroll. Walking uh, has always been something that's, uh, it's been something that Wanda and I enjoy to do uh, as at the conclusion of our day to go out and to take a walk. The majority of the time we're talking and listening, right? Your spouse is maybe unfolding what happened during the workday or a concern or a great win, if you will, a great success. But as you're walking, you're talking, you're listening, perhaps even asking questions, man was created for Eden's stroll. Human history is marked by the day that instead of moving toward God, man hid from God. Deception, you see, promised divinity. Instead, it delivered death. Guilt shame, guilt, shame, and fear became the immediate consequence of Adam's decision. Powerful emotions their children would call normal. And in some cases, emotions that are destructive and unwind us and, and bog us down. You see, the satisfaction of walking with God became a distant memory that the loss left them substituting, listen, work for walking. They sought merit over mercy. Think that man can become continuously empty. 
never satisfied, and always distant. The Gospels tell us that one day Jesus came near, that Jesus stepped into our world, he steps into your world, that he came near, and because of all that he has done, the breeze that flowed through Eden no longer flows through the branches of a tree, but now flows through the heart and of our souls. David's great poem, Psalm 23, reminds us that when life leaves us empty, and it does, when life leaves us empty, only his presence refills us. Let me read to you from the psalm. I'll begin in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Listen to the first part of verse 3. He restores my soul. Think about it this way. He renews, he refreshes, and in some cases, he repairs my soul. No one else, nothing else, revives our souls. This is important to know because I don't know about you, but sometimes my life can look a whole lot more like Martha than Mary. You're familiar with the story, right? I understand. You guys know your Bible. But if you were to look at Danny Ramos, I would look so much more like Martha and very little like Mary. Nothing as to their physical appearance, mind you, but, you know, more to do with their daily business. Did you know that there's an entire industry built on the initials DIY? Do it yourself. Yeah, you've heard of it, right? You know about it. DIY, in my experience, translates into six trips to Home Depot, at least. It means me spending more money, money doing it myself than paying somebody else to do it in a fraction of the time. I have friends that tell me, Danny, you just need to YouTube it. It hasn't worked out that easy for me. Maybe for you it works out okay, but it's not so much for me. As a matter of fact, the last time my wife asked me to fix something in the house, I attempted to fix a light switch. I had to pay an electrician to come and fix what I had fixed. But as we sit here this evening, I want you to think about this. Ponder this, meditate on this. What did Mary know? What did Mary know that Martha didn't know? What did Mary know that you and I from time to time forget? What did Mary know? She knew God's presence. I was standing over here off to the side as we were worshiping and the thought came into my mind that what a wonderful experience to, to be worshiping God in the middle of the week. I, I don't know how your week has been, but this was like a breath of fresh air. And then to hear you worshiping and going through my mind where how many people on the platform started, their, started worshiping in a youth group or with our high school group. So rewarding, so rewarding. Mary knew God's presence, do you? Do you? It's, I think... It's easy for us to appreciate taking time off. I, I think it's easy to appreciate, you know, taking an extended period of time off and getting physical rest, but that doesn't always guarantee that our soul has been refreshed and renewed. The story tells us that she sat at Jesus' feet. Anybody who walked into the room would have known that she herself had put herself in the position of a student, of a disciple. 
While Martha was, and these are Jesus' words, anxious and troubled about many things, Mary found rest by being with him. Mary shows us how to find rest in our lives. She was with Jesus. She wasn't idle. She wasn't unproductive. She simply made Jesus her priority. This very same storm that pulled her sister failed to move Mary. You see, Mary was anchored. She was situated. She was unmovable. For many of us, this past year, it's getting on to a year and a half, our storm was uncertainty. There was an uncertainty that ruled over us, especially those of us who who are used to making plans and carrying them out. I'm a man of lists. I put the things that I don't want to do at the top, and I put the things that I really like doing at the bottom, and then the challenge is to make myself do the things that are on the top. Last year, I could have no lists. Last year, every time I wrote something out, I came back through and crossed it off. We couldn't do it again. Our storm was uncertainty, and if you're sitting here tonight and you don't think that storm has affected you on some level, you're wrong. Jesus asks us to come to him. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us then or therefore with confidence and boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us draw near. For you and I, the cross is the wind blowing through the branches of the trees in Eden. For you and I, that notification, that thing that stirs up our emotions is a call for us to come boldly or with a sense of confidence before God's throne of grace. It is a calling. It is an invitation. Our text is unique to Matthew's gospel. Jesus' invitation was was to those who followed a religious system dependent upon self-effort. To these people, he offers the invitation to come to me. Let's go ahead and read these three verses. I know what some of you are thinking. He's saying there's only three verses. We're going to be done quickly tonight. You obviously do not know me very well. (laughs) The invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, listen, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to begin with three thoughts. The first is central to the invitation. These three words come to me. It is important as we sit here tonight and we listen to these words and we consider this in our Bible that we understand that it is the nature of God who calls us to want to be with you. He wants to be with you. It is his great desire. It is why he offers the invitation. Unless we understand that Jesus truly wants to shoulder our burdens, we will keep our distance. We will continue to be weighed down by cares and concerns. However, if we truly believe that he cares, we will respond to his call. 
Second, it's important to understand our condition. The first point is knowing that Jesus' nature and his desire is to be with you and to take your burden. The second thing is to understand our condition. Do we really believe that we need rest? Do we really believe that our soul needs rest? Do we really believe that our soul needs silence? Do we really understand that we're more than a physical body? Are we a physical body? Absolutely. But we are a physical body and more. And much of the anxiety and the depression in our, so- our society and our culture today, again, related to this season of uncertainty, is rooted in the fact that although we give ourselves physical rest, we don't allow ourselves to experience rest of the soul. Back to Mary and Martha. Did Martha know during her hectic preparation of her meal that her greatest need was to be with her guest? Did she understand that as she was running around her kitchen and making preparation, it's something that's not easy to do. In, in my family, early on, Wanda and I have been married for 46 years. Early on, my, my, my wife made it clear that, Danny, you do the turkey. She goes, I ain't touching that thing with a 10-foot pole. And so I learned how to, to, to do the turkey and, and, you know, wake up early on Thanksgiving morning. It already has been defrosted. I have all the ingredients there. And I would, uh, you know, pre- prepare the meal. And then... And then it became interesting that how do you get all these different parts of the menu, all these different items, and then if your guests are bringing theirs and that needs to be, how do you get it all together? Listen, at the same time, let me tell you, the, the turkey's the center of, atta- of, 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 of the whole meal, right? So I know I had an important job. And I'm watching everybody prepare, you know, their stuffing and their sweet potatoes and this, that, and the other thing. The rolls are important in my family. As a matter of fact, if you were to know my wife, she judges a restaurant on the bread or the rolls. I used to think that she, was, she would specifically just look at the menus. That was important to her. She wanted the menu to be clean and wiped down. She gets disappointed a lot. But then they would serve the bread. The bread to my wife are chips and salsa to me. So I, I understand the correlation. But bringing everything together at just the right time so that the people in your home experience hospitality, do we understand where Martha's at? Especially in a culture where her very reputation is on the line, what people think about her. Let me take it one step further. When what people think about her determines how she feels about herself, anxious, Jesus said, pulled in many directions at the same time, did she understand that her greatest need was to be with her guest? Third, the third thought is a question. How do we offload our burdens? We recognize maybe we could sit down and make an inventory of the things that are important to us. I can tell you what's important to me. When I wake up tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever's important to me will be waiting right by my bed, be there tapping his toe, saying, how are you going to do this? What if this happens? What if that happens? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? I roll over, and he's on the other side of me waiting for me there too. How do we offload our burdens? I want you to think of a process, not unlike 
a walk. Not unlike a walk and a talk or a conversation, where you walk with Jesus, continually giving that care, that concern, that burden to him. Why? Because you know, because you understand that he cares for you. There's a verse from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where, he, where Peter writes, Casting all your anxieties, your Bible may say cares, casting all your cares, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I've noticed something in my life. There are those people when they come to ask you something or give you something, they apologize. I don't know if you, have you, under, have you seen that? I'm sorry, but, please forgive me, but, Jesus extends both hands to take what you have to give to him. No apologies needed. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 from the Amplified Bible. We're in the Amplified Bible. We read, casting all your cares. Well, that's very similar to what we just read. But then here's the expansion of the, of the Greek, of the Greek um, words. Casting all your cares, all your anxieties. We saw that in the ESV. All your worries, all your concerns. Listen to how, it, how the, the Greek plays out. Once and for all. That you and I can come to the place when we give something to the Lord. I'm not there yet. But you and I can give something to the Lord again and again and again and again. And all of a sudden we realize it's not there anymore. Danny, how do we relieve ourselves from burdens and stress? To continually, as soon as it raises its, it, it, in, in our mind or in our thought life, as soon as it comes up saying, Jesus, I give this to you. Your cares are exchanged for him caring for you. I'm not a sportsman. I, obviously, you could tell by looking at me, right? And sometimes I'm watching a movie, and there's this fella, and he goes out into the stream, and you know he's got these rubber boots that come, you know, come up here, and he's got this long fishing pole. I don't know very much about fishing pole, fishing poles, but he gets like into the water, right? He's almost baptism, pap, baptism depth. If you were with us last Thursday at La Jolla Shores, you saw some of us get knocked over by the waves, but that's another story, and. And this fellow gets out there with his pole and he just keeps feeding the line. And if you watch the line, it like floats and whips back and he gives it over here. No, I'm not going to give it to you. And then he comes over here in the middle. No, I'm not going to give it to you. And then he comes over here and the, it's, it's so graceful as the line shoots out across the water and the fly lands on the surface. If it was me, you would see the line wrapped around my neck. But that's the picture of casting all your, your cares on Jesus because he certainly does care for you. Let me finish the uh, rendering there in the Amplified. For he cares about you with deepest affection. This is the original language. With deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. As you sit here tonight, before I move on, can you accept the reality, the truth, that right now and always, Jesus is watching over you? Listen, with a very careful and loving eye. He is always with you. He is watching over you. 
and he desires to carry your burden. When my daughters were young, we would walk through the neighborhood and they would have this habit of picking up the, the, the smooth rocks. They would pick them up and pick them up and more and put them in their pockets and they'd come over here and pick up some more. I should have told them not to, but anyways, they came and then they'd fill up this pocket. And finally, they'd have so many in their hands, they would reach up to me to give them to, to, give them to me. And your heavenly Father right now is extending his hands to you to take your burden. Let's look at the invitation in the first part of verse 28 where he says, come to me. We begin by knowing that he wants to be with us. That he wants to be with us. Our trust is rooted in a God who means what he says. It was a number of years ago when Wanda and I were banking with a certain bank. As a matter of fact, they reminded us on a, on a regular basis of how long we were banking with them. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And the, the branch that I would go to it was on a regular basis, sometimes almost weekly, they'd call me Mr. Ramos. Hi, Mr. Ramos, how are you today? I'm fine, how are you? T- teller knows you by name, right? Mr. Ramos, would you like a candy? As a matter of fact, I will. Put them in my pocket, just like my daughter's stones. I keep putting them in my pocket. Mr. Ramos, would you like a, an, an ink pen with, with our name on the side? Sure, you got anything else for free? I'm pay- you know, for what I'm paying here, I want everything I can get. So there's one time I, I, I come into the, to the bank like I had done many times and I'm standing in line. When you see me in the bank, I have the deposit slipped, I'll make the, I have the checks, I have them, I have, you know, I've endorsed them and I'm standing waiting for my candy and my fountain pen. So I'm standing there minding my own business and out from the side I see this young man come from, the, from an office. I go, I'm in trouble now. And he comes over and he goes, sir. Can I help you? And I go, no, I'm waiting in line. And I'm trying to ignore him, but he's a little persistent. He goes, well, I'd really like to help you. What kind of banking do you do? I figure he's just doing his job, right? I go, well, you know, I, I, I get these checks and I just need to deposit them in our, in our checking account. He goes, come into my office. I go, oh, man, okay. So I go into his office and he shows me how to, with my phone and an app on my phone, to take pictures of everything and do my banking online. And then he says, Mr. Ramos, you'll never have to come to the bank again. That was the highlight of my week, was going to the bank and saying hi to the ladies and being said hi to. And I explained to him, you know, it's probably a generational thing, but thank you very much. And I said, where are you from? I caught him a little off guard and he says, well, I'm from the East Coast. I said, how do you like California? He's been talking to me, now I'm going to get him, right? How do you like California? He goes, well, California is beautiful, you know, you have the beaches, the mountains, you have this wonderful climate, you got Mexico to the south. He goes, this is, this is a wonderful place to live. He goes, but I do kind of miss home, and I, I understand that. And then I dug a little deeper, why not? He started it. And so I dug a little deeper, and I said, well, how do you like the people here? Now remember, he's working, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a client, I'm a customer. And he goes, well, and I go, no, come on, come on, tell me. He goes, you guys are really nice. You're so polite, you don't say anything offensive. And, and I could tell that he just couldn't get over it. And I said, well, no, come on now. You know, I play counselor, right? Tell me how you really feel. And he goes, Well, to be honest with you, he goes, I'm from a small town on the East Coast. And he said, for example, if we were to meet like we did today and you said, hey, you know, Joe, let's go out for coffee. 
He said, we would make an appointment right then and there. He says, complete strangers would make an appointment. He goes, do you guys say it? But you don't really mean it. You're, you're nice, but you're busy. I, he goes, I totally understand it. You say we need to get together, but you don't really mean it. I want you to hear tonight that when Jesus issues this invitation to you, he really means it. There's a sincerity that you and I have never experienced before. One of the things that the storms of, in life do is to drive us to be with him. Remember I talked about the, the, the loss of employment or the diagnosis or the loss of a relationship. Those things drive us to be with him in a way that we typically wouldn't be with him if everything was fine. The other thing that being with him does is it pries the world from our clenched fists. It pries the world from our clenched fists. It forces us to open our hands. What do you mean, Danny? Well, when my daughters were young, I'd explain to them, I'm going to take you to the toy store, but I'm not going to buy anything. I know. I was just such a mean dad. I said, we're going to go look at everything you want to look at, and then I'll take you for some uh, frozen yogurt, and we'll call it good. And so, hey, you know, between frozen yogurt, the toy store, I could watch the kids for the afternoon. And while we're in Toys R Us, my daughters are in this aisle looking at these things, saying, I want. I said, nope, I want. Nope, not going to happen. I want. Maybe for Christmas, if you're good. All of a sudden, you hear this blood, blood-curdling scream come from two or three aisles over. Now, this is the entertainment of Toys R Us. Every parent in there knows what's going on. They understand what's taking place. So they all run down to the end of the aisle, and they look down. They don't want to be seen, but they look down and watch some parent fighting with a toy between them and their kids, right? The storms of life cause us to open our hands in a way we would never release our affections for this world by coming to Jesus. The second point is an invitation to be restored. Jesus says, come to me all who labor or who are weary and heavy laden and listen to the source, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The word labor here means working to the point of exhaustion. Remember who Jesus is talking to. He's, he's talking, he's speaking to individuals who were fatigued by religion. There was never a filling. There was never a sense of peace or calm. There was always a sense that I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more. And this mindset was taught to them by the religious system that placed burdens upon them. Jesus' words were initially spoken to those suffering under the real, unrealistic expectations of a religious system. Sometimes I wonder, those of us who walk in grace, we understand that salvation is a gift. We understand that God's indwelling spirit in our lives is a gift. It's simply to be received. Sometimes I wonder that when we're in gatherings, if we don't put burdens, religious burdens upon ourselves, I'll explain what I mean in a moment, simply by comparing ourselves to other people in the room. I might think, I don't pray the way he prays. I can't quote scriptures the way she quotes scriptures. 
I don't know the doctrine or the theology of the Bible as well as they do. And instead of a system putting burdens upon us, we put burdens upon ourselves. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. That is not my intent for you. That is not what I want. So Jesus is the only source of rest. For us, rest is the relief that we first sensed when we knew that our sins were forgiven. To the best of my ability, describing to you what rest is, it is that moment when I receive Christ and in a very, very childlike way, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that my sins were forgiven. The burden that I carried my entire life was lifted from my shoulders immediately. Rest comes when we pour out our hearts to God. Where within the privacy of your own home, you are real and transparent with God, rest comes. It comes when we confess our sin and understand that all things are under his control. All things are under his control. Theologians say that he's sovereign. He rules over all things. Now, I'm not saying that the storms of life disappear when we employ or apply a formula. I'm saying that our strength is renewed as we continually give our burdens to Jesus. One more thing. Rest is the assurance that we're right with God. Rest is the assurance of what, of, that we're right with God. Let me, let me share this verse with you. It's, it's very important to me. I, I hope it will minister to you. At the conclusion of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Paul says to his readers, for he who, for he who knew no sin, he who knew no sin, made him to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus. Think about this. For 33 years, Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus lived in complete and total obedience to the Father. As a matter of fact, at his baptism, out of the heavens the Father speaks, behold, my my son in whom I'm well pleased. That is, I'm well pleased. There's nothing displeasing in him. He is perfect. Remember John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb had to be perfect, spotless, without blemish. You understand this. He who knew no sin is Jesus living for 33 years of sinless life. It says that he became sin. It didn't say that he sinned, but that while he was on the cross, the sin of all humanity was placed on Jesus. No, I'll take it one step further. It was placed on Jesus and it was judged. The scriptures tell us that it was dark from 12 noon to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. A sign of judgment. God judged sin on his son, his sinless son. And that in some way that I cannot imagine or understand, the father pulled away from the son. If you can only try and wrap your mind, for all of eternity past, they walked in perfect, perfect fellowship. Yet while he was on the cross, when our sins were upon him, God judged our sin. Listen, once and for all, he who knew no sin, 33 years of perfect life, sinless life, for those hours upon the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. My friends, this is where your sin and my sin are dealt with, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. Listen to this. When I receive Jesus Christ, I don't stop sinning. I'm not perfect. But because Jesus took my place upon the cross, listen, this is the gospel. 
Because he bore my separation from the Father, I will never be abandoned or separated from God for all of eternity. Hear me now. And when God sees Danny Ramos today, because of what Jesus did, he sees me as though I live, I'm living that 33 years of a sinless life. I give Jesus my sin, he experiences judgment, and he gives me his right standing before the Father. If you want to have rest, if you want to experience rest that God gives, understand the full and complete assurance of your salvation. You are in the body of Christ. Remember Jesus said of the Father that you are in my Father's hands and no one can snatch you out. So an invitation to know Jesus in verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. An invitation to know Jesus. In Jesus' day, a student was said to be under the yoke of his teacher. So if we were to go back and watch the 12 disciples respond to Jesus' words, come follow me, we would see men who willingly place themselves in submission and complete surrender to Jesus. They put themselves under his, under his yoke. Jesus' words imply our ability to choose between his yoke and any other yoke. You and I have the capability of choosing to respond to the call to come to me and receive Jesus' well-fitting yoke or to attempt to place ourselves under another yoke. In the Jew, in, in the, his original hearers would have understood, the Jews would have understood the yoke of the law, the yoke of the command, the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of a rabbi. Jesus invites us to take my yoke upon you. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Please hear me on this. It is in the storm where God reveals himself to us. It is in the difficulty. It is in the doubt. It is in the question that God makes himself real to us. This isn't academic. It's purely experiential. I know Jesus because I have walked with him through the storm. You know Jesus because you have walked with him through a season of difficulty and challenge and loss. He reveals himself to us. He offers us freedom when we find ourselves oppressed by any other yoke. So wherever you're at tonight, whatever you're going through, see Jesus' hands reaching to the yoke that's pulling you down and offering you his yoke. And you will find rest for your soul. Psalm 116.7 says, return. Obviously, David's speaking to himself. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. In my introduction, I told you that deception offered divinity. Well, if deception offered divinity, but instead delivered death, then Jesus gives life to those who come to him. Listen. If you see a God who you come to with your burden, if you see a God who's going to critique you, who's going to correct you, with all due respect, you are wrong. I want you to see a God who has both hands extended toward you to receive you, to be with you, 
Verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We close by acknowledging that there is a yoke and a burden. However, his yoke is easier, well-fitting, and his burden is light. How so? Personally, uh, over the years, going through various situations and difficulties, there have been uh, seasons of unemployment. There has been uh, difficulties and challenges in relationships. I'm not going to explain everything to you. But there have been seasons, there have been months of crying out to God in a way that I never would have cried out to Him. And if there's anything that's given me strength, it is coming alongside those who are more mature in the faith, not that they've just put in their time in church or their time in walking with Jesus, but those you find them, they are, they are a treasure. But they've walked with Jesus through the years, through difficult times of their own, trusting him. And they will walk with you. And they will listen to you. And they will pray with you. And there's a transfer of strength that takes place. Their hearts know experientially the voice that speaks to the wind and the waves in their souls. Peace be still. You know, as you leave here tonight, hear Jesus inviting you to come with him. Hear that he wants to take your burden. Hear that there are people in your life who will walk with you and know that at the conclusion of the storm, you will be lighter, you will be stronger, you will be more like Christ. I close with the verse at the bottom of your notes. Be still and know that I am God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.